What's going on everyone? It's Kyle Cruz and you're listening to the KC at the Movies podcast, episode 101. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming in, thanks for tuning in and uh, listening. Sorry for the lateness on this one. Um, I just had something uh, very personal happen to me um, over the last month and so and uh, it was pretty... It was pretty bad. That's not an understatement, but yeah, it was a really big personal loss and I just didn't really feel like doing anything um, in terms of this or um, any of the videos. So like I explained in my Instagram post that I wouldn't do videos for the rest of the year except obviously the top 10 of 2022 um, and uh, honorable mentions. I still said I'd do the um I'd release the last episode of the year of the podcast and I'm still going to stand by that because I do want to uh, get another episode out before the end of the year so we can go nice and fresh into uh, uh 2023 and like I had alluded to and uh talked about on the October video is that I was going to talk about Blonde. I wouldn't say super in-depth, but I was going to talk about Blonde and my, my thoughts on Blonde. So um, that is what you're going to get in this episode today. Um, and I'll also talk about Bones and All, uh, The Banshees of Inner Sharon, and um, Avatar, The Way of Water. I'll give my thoughts on that one as well because I went and saw Avatar uh, last Wednesday. So I've got some thoughts on Avatar as well, but I thought I'd uh, start off with... Uh, my thoughts on <laughs> Andrew Dominic's Odyssey. I don't know. I don't know what to call this thing. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about Blonde. Um, as you all know, this is a film written, directed by, um, I guess, adapted, not written, but directed by Andrew Dominic. It was based on the book by Joyce Carol Oates. And when I found out there was going to be a film made about Marilyn Monroe which as as you know is uh is a huge figure in um old hollywood and um and was a huge sex symbol of the uh 60s so y- yeah you know who marilyn monroe is you know who norma jean is that was, that being her real name and i do find it exciting when uh you know there there is going to be a film made about her um but you know there's a lot of trepidation and there's a lot of um kind of immediate kind of thoughts of like how they're going to handle this like how is marilyn going to look in the film are they going to is this going to be directed by a male is this going to be directed by a female um how's it going to be written from what, what perspectives are we going to go for uh but then i found it was going to be directed by so it's gonna be a male andrew dominic a man who directs a film like once every decade um, he's the same guy who did the assassination of Jesse James by the caliber of Ford. He's the same guy that did killing them softly. I think that was the last one that he actually did. So I was a little, little excited, but I was also kind of like, okay, like if he only does a movie every, you know, every kind of decade or every, every so often, he might have something to say here. Um, you know, he, he might make an interesting film. Uh, and then then more news comes in, uh, like it's going to be NC-17. He got an NC-17 rating from the MPAA. And that was the big thing that was on everyone's minds for a while. And uh, got people talking, and it really did get people talking, like a lot of people talking. NC-17, as we know, being the most scandalous and extreme rating 
um, I remember watching on um, really on, on free to air TV as well. Uh, but back when I was a uh, younger person, <laughs> a younger person, uh, back when I was a kid, actually, um, on certain channels and free to air TV in Australia, there would be some films that would say NC seventeen before uh, the film would show. This is like late at night because I guess you could say like my night owl, night owlness, I guess. If that's even a word, started when I was a kid. I always loved staying up late, and um, those when those you know those late movies would come on, and you'd see the uh, the rating beforehand. And then yeah, there was some. I think it was on. Um, this one was on SBS, which you know, <laughs> it's going to make a lot of people's heads roll and um, go, oh yeah, the classic like international movies they do and everything, all those crazy movies they do afterwards and, and late at night. And uh, yeah, that's true. I did see a lot of um, <laughs> interesting movies later at night on on SBS. Um, now it's called SBS World Movies, I believe. And uh, one of the ratings that came up before one of these films that I'd seen was NC-17. And I was like, I only thought it went up to R18+, plus, for example, which is, you know, a lot of films do go, only go from like G, especially in Australia, go from G to R18+. Plus. So to see this rating NC-17, I was like, well, what? What is this? Anyway, through the years, I do learn what NC-17 is. And if you didn't know what NC-17 is, it's probably the most extreme rating you can receive from the MPAA or the Australian Classification Board. I'm, I don't even think our, our version of the MPAA, the Australian Classification Board, I think our equivalent was uh, X18 plus or something. Um uh, but that, but I do remember seeing an NC-17 before that film uh, I saw. I forget what movie it is, so don't ask me what movie it was. So I, I do forget what movie it was when I, uh, when I watched it back then. But anyway, uh, in America, in the MPAA, it is pretty, pretty much the most extreme rating you can receive from the MPAA, just after the R18 plus rating. And it usually means that there is content inside the film that exceeds what an R-rated film can have. And as we all know, our rating contains everything from extreme violence and gore, strong sex scenes, and a big one for us in Australia, why things are rated R18+, is drug use and abusing of drugs. I remember when uh, Grand Theft Auto, the big one was Grand Theft Auto 5 came out, and it was R18+, and um, I don't think my brother could get it, I think. I'm not too sure, John, if you're listening. I'm, I don't know. I think we had to get someone to get it for us because we couldn't buy it because it was R18+. And, um, yeah, I think it would have been, I think it would have been my brother. Uh, it was 18 plus. We couldn't get it because of one thing it said on the, on the front, it's just drug use, drug use on the front. So that's a big one for us in Australia and mentioning Grand Theft Auto 5 because, you know, it pertains to video games as well. And what stops them from getting a, uh, retail sale, um, obviously, they're going to go big for uh, games like Grand Theft Auto, but I remember there have some, been some games that have received a um, has received an um, a restricted rating, which basically means they shouldn't be sold or played in Australia. I remember there was one game from um, years and years ago called uh, Hatred on PC, which uh, which I I played eventually, but I was like I don't know why this got this this but all right fine it's not even that great of a game um but i distinctly remember 
uh, back when South Park Stick of Truths, the Australian version, didn't have the explicit content that was in the US and the European versions of the game. Another example that comes to mind, and this is in uh, literature now, is when American Psycho was banned from being sold in Australia. And that doesn't, that doesn't pertain to the ratings, but it kind of pertains to like what is, I guess, what they think is digestible and what they think is like, what, what kind of fucking country they think we are. And that this is to the classification board, like what kind of um, country they really think we are. We're just a bunch of like, I guess, weak-willed people that can't really make up their mind. It's like, no, we can't give them this content. It, it's It's too much. It's too much. Look, fit, to be fair, the, the stuff in American Psycho, the novel, is a lot. <laughs> but that's up to you to, you know, if you want to pick up the book or not and read it. Anyway, that's that's another tangent that uh, I won't get into on this podcast. I do want to return to films because films rarely get an NC-17 rating. When cuts are presented to the studios that hire these um, filmmakers or anything like that, um, usually I'm, I'm expecting it to be something like a fine cut. And then that they have to cut that down to get to a final cut, um, and then a final, and then you know finally a, like a lock off before it has to hit its release date. Now, when that's shown to the studios and the executive producers, they most likely give notes to the filmmakers, and this usually involves either cutting scenes through this runtime, cutting them because they're too explicit, or cutting because they might seem unnecessary to the plot, which sometimes does work out, and I'll get to that in a second. What also happens is the cut is presented to the MPAA, which is the ratings board, and um, in the ratings board in America, which stands for the Motion Picture Association of America, and they give the film a rating, like G, PG, PG-13, M, MA-15+, R18+, and then if, if nothing, if they don't like anything, if they think it's too much... It gets the NC-17, which is when that's when filmmakers need to get it to the drawing board and we're like, okay, how do we get this down to R because we can't put this out into cinemas. Usually, what happens next is after studio gives the notes, MPA sends the cut. The film is then suggested to be modified if they want to make some money, I guess. Which is, you know, that's why we're in the industry to do that. We are there to make art, but we're there to make money as well. Sometimes, sometimes they fight back, and there's a lot of discussion that goes on. But usually what happens is the film gets a lower cut. We've seen this a lot recently with the A24 movies, especially Ari Aster's films, Robert Eggers' movies. There is a four-hour cut of The Northman. There was a four-hour cut, almost four-and-a-half-hour cut of um, Disappointment Boulevard, which is now called Bo is Afraid. And now I'm guessing that needs to be cut down to like three hours, I think, to have a theatrical run. So yeah, they would have to cut them down to get the appropriate... Uh, rating and like there's there's so much so much more involved in terms of showing cuts to the studio and the MPAA there's so much more involved I'm barely just scratching the surface but I hope you kind of get what I mean when we're talking about the MPAA here now there's a good and a bad behind all this the film may retain a certain structure and not go too off the rails um, and you know still having the message clear to the audience uh, the bad being the artist's vision becomes compromised. And we've heard many directors get hurt by this and when they get involved in the studio system. Um, so it sparks that important question that a lot of cinephiles have in their mind is can an artist really be creative within the confines of Hollywood filmmaking? This is why we see so many artists not want to work with studios ever again. A, b- a big example being uh, Joe Dante after he worked with them 
on uh, Looney Tunes back in action. But in this special case, we're dealing with a streaming service here. We're, do- we're dealing with Netflix. Blonde is being distributed and produced by Netflix. And while Netflix does sometimes compromise creative visions, they do seem to let their filmmakers have a lot of reign. And it seems this time around, they let Andrew Dominic have the magic words, full creative control. Because we have quite the meal to digest here with a chaotic cluster of shots, transitions, aspect ratio changes, fucking uh, so much more to talk about, um, and a whopping two-hour, 45-minute runtime. Uh, Nothing is left out, and Dominic has gone on record and said himself that this is the movie that he wanted to make. Now, all this being said, I honestly think the whole NC-17 thing was a big publicity stunt and look it's probably obvious now that yes it was a whole publicity thing it got people talking that's exactly what happened so it worked perfectly and look and it, and it paid off because it got people talking it got attention now that it's out it's kind of just come and gone it was like it was in the top 10 i think for australia netflix for like a week or something like that and then it was gone it was uh forgotten about um, and I, I myself just think the NC-17 rating is a bit of a, you know, it's a bit too much. Because besides some simulated fellatio, this could have easily passed as R18+. And even in Australia, when you go on Netflix, it's R18+. It's not NC-17. It's none of that. It's uh, R18+. Anyway, <laughs> all that aside, uh, what did I think of the movie itself? Well, to be honest, I... If you couldn't tell by me, like, talking about the shots and transitions and everything, um, I didn't really enjoy the movie. (laughs) Uh, The two-hour, 45-minute runtime is a fucking slog at times. Uh, It feels overstuffed, overstimulating, and it's incredibly self-indulgent. And the creative choices made are just baffling, to be quite frank. It's like like, uh, Dominic had all these tools in this toolbox. Um, You talk about the, the filmmaker's toolkit. But he had all the tools and he just used every single one of them. Didn't use them with precision or um, precise move, precise movement or anything. He just used every single one of them and just chucked them into the film. There's no, there's no like focused intent, I don't think, with this one. Um, before I talk more about why I didn't like it, I will just talk about a few things I did like. Um, I'll praise the cinematography because this does look very nice at times. Uh, especially the black and white sequences. Um, later on, we get the 4 by 3 sequences, which there are heaps of, like I said, changes between uh, what is on here, well, changes between what the film actually looks like. Um, the score by Nick Cave is delicate and sometimes haunting. And look, Anna Diamas gives, I think, her best performance that she's ever given. Um, I don't really side with a lot of people here and, and uh, saying that she was actually pretty bad in the movie. I think she did a great job of what she was given. Had she been directed better and maybe had better material to go off, she may have given an even better performance. But like I said, with what she's been given, she does well with. So I think she, I think she's really good. I, I wouldn't go as far as to go Academy Award nomination, but I would say that it is a good performance. I think she gives a good performance, and I think she put a lot of effort in. And I do think all the other performances are good too. Uh, Bobby Carnavale, um, uh, Adrian Brody. Uh, I think, yeah, all the other performances are uh, are really good. But unfortunately, getting to the bad now, 
um, it's just Dominic's vision. It's it's probably the source material as well. It doesn't help that the, this film is adapted from a a book that is fiction. It's not a biography of uh, Marilyn Monroe's life. It's it's a fiction. Um, Joyce Carol Oates' book is it's, it's a lot of things have been made up inside it. And I remember when I was like. I was watching, you know, the entire film and then my roommate sat down, uh, both my housemates sat down and watched the last hour of it. And one of them is a big Maryland fan and was like, this, no, not, this doesn't happen. This, this, none of this happened. This didn't happen. And I had to say, I was like, well, it's based off like this book that's like kind of fiction as well. And she's like, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> that's just stupid. <laughs> um, bless her heart. She's, she's fucking great. Um, and look, I've I think yeah, when you're going off all that, when you're trying to incorporate it into a huge film, a, you know, a huge behemoth of a movie, almost three hours long, um, there's going to be a lot of problems with it feeling overstuffed and trying to eat so many cakes. Um, I'm trying to come up with something there, but I can't really come up with anything. Um, just have so many things stuffed inside it, and it just doesn't work. It really just feels like. It doesn't even feel like a film at times. It just feels like this series of shots, transitions, changing of film stock, changing of lenses even. Um, just fucking chucking it all in there. And don't forget, uh, we have CGI talking fetuses too. And that's just... <laughs> and that's the, 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 the surface. Because there's so much more going on. I think she's there's a scene where she's talking to the fetus as well. Of course, I talked about the simulated fellatio bit. Like I will, I will say there are a few transitions that were really, really cool. I do like uh, when she's watching, um, when she is having the threesome with those two men, and then it kind of transitions into them watching Niagara when they have the with the waterfall coming down into the screen, and it transitions into Niagara. I thought that was nice. I thought that was nice. But other than that, the film is just a waste of time. It really is just a waste of time. And like I said, it doesn't feel like a film. It's just a series of shots that are just there. And there's no structure to them. But what I think, uh, one of the worst things that I came away from that is thinking, why? What? Why was this made? Why did Dominic want to make this film? And I just don't think that was answered for me there. I, I, I just don't think it was answered. There was nothing taken away from this. Things just happened to, Mar- to uh, Norma, uh, Marilyn slash Norma. Things just happen to Marilyn slash Norma in this movie, and we're just subjected to all of it. And unfortunately, a lot of it is abuse. It's just abuse after abuse after abuse. And we're just subjected to all of it. There never really felt like any um, close examination into the exploitation. And I think that's what rubbed me the wrong way. It's just where just have to sit there and just say, well, this is what happened to her. This happened, this happened, this happened. Like, there's no... Like I said, there's no examination. There's no why. There's no... There doesn't really feel like... There doesn't really feel like no one's asking... I feel like Dominic is not asking any questions here. He's just showing us these things. And we are just... We just got to watch it, I guess. Like, excuse me for my bluntness, but do you want to see Marilyn get raped three times and then almost get killed and, like, beat up? And, like, it's just... Man, it's kind of disgusting. And... Like I'm, look, I'm ha- happy that everyone got to, you know, enjoyed their experience with it. Um, but I've got to side with, with, I won't side with people with Anna Dayams's performance, but I will side with people talk talking about this and calling it exploitative because 
I did when people were saying, "Oh no, it's just exploitative. It's it's just so um so so like this and that, blah blah blah." And I'm just like, "Well, I'll give it a watch and still make up my mind." And yeah, I'm got to come away from it too, and just saying like, "No, yeah, that that is it's pretty exploitative." And uh, I just got nothing out of it. There was nothing to glean from uh, the experience. So, unfortunately, that's how I've thought about Blonde. Um, I didn't like it. I don't think it should be seen. I can't, I cannot justify its two hour, 45 minute runtime. So if you were ever interested in something like that um, or learning about, it's, it's, I guess like I've got to, I guess I got to say like, well done to Dominic for just at least having the balls to do something like this, to have it swing and just have a huge miss. But man, I, I, that's all I can say really. I, 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 I myself personally, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was very good. And um, I'll still watch what Dominic does next, but I just this was just not for me, man. It was just not for me. And I can't recommend this on Good Conscious to anyone else. So those are my thoughts on Blonde. Um, it's now currently playing on Netflix if you do want to check it out. But like I said, it doesn't have my stamp of approval. But if you still want to go check it out, it's there on Netflix for you. A movie that uh, I actually did really like is uh, Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All. Um, this is also adapted from a book, I believe, as well, just like he did with Call Me By Your Name. It stars Taylor Russell, who we know from Waves. Uh, if you haven't seen Waves, just you know, get on that shit. It's fucking great. Um, most recently, though, I think she was in uh, Escape Room Tournament of Champions. Not the greatest movie, um, but... A movie nonetheless, <laughs> but I will say she's back in, you know, great form here in Bones and All because I believe, you know, she's directed better. I mean, Luca Guadagnino is a great director. Um, this also stars Timothy Chalamet as well, um, Mark Rylance, and it is about a young woman named Marin who goes on a journey through the back roads of America because she wants to find out who her true mother is, and she meets Lee, played by Timothy Chalamet, who's a bit of a drifter. And he does his own thing. And, you know, they try to connect and they try to be with people. But these guys, there's a twist. These guys are cannibals. Yeah, Marin is a cannibal. Lee's a cannibal. I mean, they're called eaters in the film. But um, they are cannibals. And they be eating. They be snacking on humans. Um, <laughs> and that's probably the best I can say. I don't want to spoil too much of it. Um, I fucking love this movie. Uh, I've only seen it the once. I do want to watch it again. I really want to watch it again. But man, I really, really love this film. I got very excited when I, because uh, I, I love Coming By Your Name. Um, I've read the book. I think the film's better than the book. And I loved, I actually loved We Are Who We Are, which came on, a, which was on a HBO Max a couple of years ago, the, uh, the series that Guadagnino had made. I actually really loved that uh, series as well. And then when I found out what he's making next, I was like, oh, God, like, yeah, got to watch that. Um, Suspiria as well. I thought his um, version of Suspiria was actually really good too. Very different from um, Argento Suspiria from uh, the 70s. His version was uh, very uh, much different, and I really appreciated that. So you can tell when Guadagnino gets his hands on something, he's going to make it his own. And I think he's done that with Bones and All. Now, like I said, I haven't read the book, but it this really does feel like it's been made by Guadagnino, like Luca Guadagnino himself, because 
he gives this such a delicate touch for such a like rough story um, that's going to, you know, scare a lot of people away. Like, oh, cannibals, oh, fuck, you know, going to kill people, going to eat them. Um, it's beautiful, man. It's absolutely beautiful. It's it's so it's so delicate. It's so romantic. And he just does such a great job of making you really care about these characters of Marin and Lee. And the road trip movie that goes on throughout is just so nice. I, I tend to like... I've come into I've come, I've, I've come to this conclusion that I think I really like just road trip movies and where characters will go on a trip and then they meet all these different amazing characters who have uh, really cool different personalities um, and that's when you that's when you meet people like Michael Stuhlbarg, David Gordon Green, Mark Rylance, for example. And Mark Rylance, by the way, gives such a very like, creepy performance in this movie, man creepy performance. I mean, I want to see him for supporting. I don't think he's going to get a supporting. Um, I would even want to see Timothy for lead as well, but um, I don't think Bones and All is going to get anything, especially looking at the the Golden Globes noms. Let's start that again. Um, Especially looking at the Golden Globes noms, um, I don't think it's going to really get anything, but I really, really think it should either get adapted screenplay or score, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for this uh, score for this movie is just like so beautiful. And so what I love about it as well, it's so um, adaptive of what is happening on screen. You go for when you I think when you go through Marin, my, my takeaway from it is when you go through Marin's perspective, it's a lot of like strings. There's a lot of nice guitar plucking. And then when you go for Lee's perspective, it kind of goes uh, electro kind of synthy uh, that Reznor and Ross are known for it's just so it's just really fucking good it's just a really really sweet movie I've never been so uh <laughs> excuse me for saying this I've never been so turned on by blood around someone's mouth <laughs> after they have snacked on something yeah. like I, I think I had this thought to me while I was watching the film and uh uh credit to uh, Jim Rash from Community <laughs> when he's watching the Dalmatian video and he's like saying, "Well, this some, will this awaken something in me, or something like that." And that's what happened, I think, with Bones and all. I, I think it awoken something in me. And not saying that I love blood and you know want to be, um, want to do all that stuff, but um, it's just so beautiful. It's just so. It was such a beautiful, beautiful movie. And maybe I'm the weird one, but I'd love to be a weird one for this one because it was just such a really. Really sweet, romantic, sometimes fucked up, yes, uh, tale, American tale. And um, I really enjoyed it, bones and all. I really, really enjoyed it, and I cannot wait to watch it again. Uh, Another movie I really enjoyed is The Banshees of Vinisherin. This is Mark McDonough's next film. He's the same guy that brought us in Bruges, uh, Seven Psychopaths, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And he has now given us the Banshees of Inisherin. And he's got Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson back in the fray. The Imbruge boys are back playing very different characters from what they played in Imbruge. Almost like they've switched positions with their Imbruge characters. But you've also got Kerry Condon in this film, Barry Cogan, who give great standout performances, especially Kerry Condon. And what's the movie about? Well, it's about two friends, um, Porrick and... Now, this is a very Irish film, so I'm, not, I'm definitely going to get these names... Um, I'm definitely going to get these names wrong. Um, I think it's 
Porrick or Padrick or I think it's Porrick. And Brendan Gleeson plays Colm. And uh, one day, you know, they're best friends. They like hanging out. But then one day, Colm says to Porrick that he doesn't want to hang out with him anymore. And he just says he doesn't like him. You know, Porrick says something like, you know, I liked him yesterday. Well, I don't like you today. And then for the rest of the film, you're trying to figure out why Colm is feeling this way. And Boy does it in such a beautiful, funny, but very bleak fashion. And that is what a great Mutt McDonough story does. It makes you laugh. It'll make you kind of cry a bit. It'll make you very much think after the movie is over as well. And that is exactly what The Banishes of Inesherin did to myself. So much so that this movie is definitely in the top 10, dare I say top 5 of the year. And uh, I fucking absolutely, absolutely loved it. And I cannot wait to go uh, to to watch it again. It is... Um, yeah, I don't want I don't want to spoil too much, but it's it's just what everything it's everything that a Martin McDonough movie does and does really really well. And that's what he done with In Bruges. And I'm I'm going to say it, man. I think this is just as good as In Bruges. I do like In Bruges, but this is just as good. I like this better than all the other movies that he's done. And I and I love Seven Psychopaths. I love Thoroughbreds Outside of Missouri. But this one just really hit home for me, especially what I've gone through this year as well and it really did just hit home it hit hit uh, exactly in the right spot um both in a kind of like a hard-hitting way like whoa but also in like a very bittersweet way as well and it just made me again just really think about everything think about my own life and just take a second take a second and just and just uh and ponder. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much more about The Adventures of Inisherin. I really think people should watch it. I really think it's one of the best movies of the entire year. And I want to see it in the awards season race. And I think it's going to get a lot of love. But I've got to say, Colin Farrell, Brandon Gleeson, Kerry Condon, and Barry Kogan need to be all in that race. Because they are absolutely phenomenal in this movie. And my God, the film does such a good job of switching sides of who you have sympathy for because at one point you're saying well yeah colm's been a dickhead porrick is just such a nice guy why is colm acting like such a dick um he's such a nice guy he does very nice things he's very kind but then you get kind of understand colm's perspective as well of that porrick might be a little dumb he might be a little boring to be around he might he doesn't really talk or ask Colin questions, and um, that's all I'm going to say, but I, you, you really just, there are so many points where you're like, okay, I'm on Colm's side, oh no, wait, I'm on Porrick's side now, Colm's a little crazy, but now I'm on Colm's side now too, and I love movies that make you kind of, kind of question everything along the way, like, oh, I, oh, do I feel like this, or do I feel like that, and it's just, again, it's a movie that makes you think, it's a movie that makes, you know, it's a movie that makes you think, and like I said, it, it just kind of keeps your, keeps your brain busy afterwards. It doesn't, this is not one of those like, okay, one and done things. Like I'm still thinking about what messages and themes that are presented in the Banshees of Inisherin and what I can take away from it and what other people can take away from it as well. And hopefully you guys can take away from it when I inevitably <laughs> recommend this to you. Like this is, it's fantastic. This movie is fantastic. It's one of the best of the year. And um, you got to watch it, man. you got to watch it. Uh, yeah. 
that's if that wasn't of a recommendation, I've yeah, I uh, recommend the Banshees of Inisherin, and I cannot bloody wait to see what uh, McDonough pulls out of his ass next. Okay, uh, just before we head out, guys, I just want to talk about what I've been watching um, recently because uh, I, I thought that'd be a, a nice little uh, nice little segment to leave on is what I've been uh, watching kind of recently. And um, I watched The Fablemans. I watched uh, Steven Spielberg's movie, The Fablemans, and it's very much a movie for me. Um, I loved it. I didn't think it's... So I didn't. It's not going to be any of my again into the year list or anything like that. But I really, really enjoyed it. I love that final scene and I love that final shot. That final shot probably is my favorite end shot of the year. Um, final shot of the year. Um, I do want to watch it again. I really do want to watch it again. But um, yeah, I'll have more to say on that. Think I think I'll watch it again. I'll have more to say on it soon. Um, but just know that I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the fab ones. Um, I finished The White Lotus. That was good. Uh, I ended up watching both seasons as well. When season two came out, I ended up watching the first season, so watching all the first season, and then getting in time for the second season to premiere. Um, the only reason, look, I'm going to be honest, guys. I'm going to come clean here. The only reason I was watching The White Lotus is because of Aubrey Plaza and Haley Lou Richardson, two of my favorites. You know, but I will say I actually enjoyed what I was seeing here in the White Lotus and what Mike White was trying to say with these two shows. And there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of meandering, but I, I think it's just a nice show to put on and just binge. It's just a nice, um, it's a very bingeable show. I'll say that's a very bingeable show. And um, its themes are quite, you know, the way it's presented is not so full on your face. They're pretty subtle. And um, I liked what was here. I liked how the first season played with race and the second season explored things like uh, sexual politics. I had a really good conversation with a friend of mine over the phone about how we felt about the the second season um, with certain characters, especially um, Ethan, Cameron, uh, Harper and Daphne, uh, that whole dynamic. And then you've got the whole thing with uh, Lucia and Mia and uh, Albie and his father. And I, I, I loved all that. And don't forget Valentina. She, she had a great little um, R throughout the season as well. Now, a lot of people prefer the first season to White Lotus, but I actually like the second season just a bit more. Um, I just think it's more, I think it's funnier. I think there's more stuff happening. Um, I Look, I do love Jake Lacey's character in the first one and how fucking stupid he is and how annoying he is. And he's just great to watch. But I don't know. I, I just got a lot more out of... Maybe I've got Italian bias, but I got a lot more out of watching uh, season two of The White Lotus. And, you know, is it going to get a season three? Is, is Does Mike White want to uh, have another story with different characters? Um, because based on what happens at the end here, I don't know if there'll be a season three. If, and if you've seen it, you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it, The White Lotus. Um, it's very quick. The first season, I think, is six episodes. And this uh, next season had seven episodes. So, uh, or is it eight? Seven or eight around there. Bit, a couple more episodes, I'll say. And uh, I enjoyed it. Good show. Very bingeable. And then uh, finally, I finished Atlanta. I finished Atlanta. It's the sad days. Very sad days. But I finished Atlanta. I refused to finish it. I had three episodes left. And I was like, I can't not watch this show go away. <laughs> um. I can't watch this show fade, please. I, I I love this show so much. Do not let it end. But, you know, all good things must come to an end. I learned that when Breaking Bad ended and then when Better Call Saul ended. So, um, 
And that's how I had to feel with Atlanta. And I got to say, um, as much as I, I'm, I'm a defender of season three, I, I liked season three a lot. I liked all the different narratives and all the, um, the kind of anthological aspect of it. Um, but I really liked season four too. Um, I love the camping episode with um, Vanessa and uh, Ern and uh, Lottie. Um, I loved the farm episode, episode nine, I think, with uh, Owl. I love the Owl episodes. I love the Owl-centric episodes. They're so fucking good. Because Brian Tyree Henry probably is the best performer in the show. Like, he is amazing as um, Owl. And he plays... I just... I really like Brian Tyree Henry. I think he um, brings a lot to the characters that he plays. And uh, especially to um, to Paperboy slash Owl in uh, this show. How do I feel about it being wrapped up now? Um, I'm I'm very bittersweet about it. I'm I like I said, I'm really sad that it's over. I don't want it to be over, but I'm actually really ha- with happy. But I'm actually really happy with how it ended. Um, it all just made sense. I mean, the last episode is called "It Was All a Dream," and it's not. I'm not going to say it's all a dream sequence or anything like that. The whole thing wasn't a dream, but it really does asked that question I was like yeah was this was this all a dream especially with the character of Darius who I'm I always love and I love Lakeith Stanfield but um he had a lot to do in this last episode because we were wondering like when is Darius going to have an episode in season four because he had one in uh he's I think he's had one every season and when are we going to get our Darius centric episode in uh season four and yeah the finale the finale I didn't expect the finale to be the Darius episode but the finale is because if you think about it, and I, and I do want to dive more into what this could be, uh, perhaps in another podcast episode or a video or something like that, um, just like I felt like with uh, Better Call Saul as well it's in its ending, I still have thoughts on that and noodling that around. But I mostly am just sad that the show is over. Um, I almost wanted to rewatch it again, but then I remembered I'm watching it again with my housemate. We're on season two at the moment. So... I'll just watch it with him, man. I'll, I'll just watch it with him and uh, enjoy it all over again. But but thank you, Donald Glover, for making the show. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. I love hanging with everyone at Atlanta. I love hanging with Ern, Al, Darius, Van, all the characters. Fuck it, even Tracy. And uh, <laughs> a little shenanigans to get up to. It's just such a chill show to watch, man, about like, you know, just about everything. It's about dreams. It's about your mates. It's about your ambitions, your passions, your life. Uh, what you want to do in life and everything, and very inspiring as as a uh, as a writer myself. I I just I loved what Glover did with Atlanta. Yeah, I recommend anyone who doesn't see it, Atlanta, give it a watch. It's not if it's not your thing, if it's too weird, that's fine. Um, but I really, really, really was impressed with how um, Glover did this. How he wrapped it up, and again, like I said, I love season three, and um, how he wrapped it up because it was just beautiful. It was one of those bittersweet kind of endings and i think those are some of the best endings in my opinion so atlanta sad it's gone but also happy how it how it wrapped up so there you go um and then finally um i watched some christmas stuff i finally watched some christmas stuff because i've been kind of lacking on it i did go watch uh violent night when that came out a couple weeks ago really enjoyed that and loved uh david harbour and that movie and how violent that got. I mean, that was just such, you know, cheesy fun. Um, so I had a lot of fun with Violent Night. And, you know, sweet message. Um, I know a, f- a few friends of mine were just like, yeah, we didn't really need the girl. And then <laughs> I kind of just wanted to see David Harper some, uh, fuck some more people up with Santa Claus. Well, if you want Santa Claus fucking people up, 
may I recommend to you Christmas Bloody Christmas on Shudder. Um, this is a kind of a low budget uh, film by, uh, I think it's Joe Begos um, or Joel Begos. I'm not sure. Sorry, sorry, sir, if I'm saying that name wrong, but uh, Joe Begos. And um, I haven't seen any of his films before, but I saw that this one was uh, on the front page of Shutter, so I was like, "All right, I'll, I'll give this a go." Christmas Bloody Christmas about a robot Santa that comes to life, murdering folks. Um, love a good Christmas slasher. Um, if you are that look, there's two. I think there's two type of people around Christmas time. There's people that want to watch all the wholesome shit, like you know all the all the classic films, like all the Disney films, like all the. Um, Fox movies or all of uh, the uh, um, old nostalgic classics. There are those people. And then there are those people that want to watch something like Black Christmas. <laughs> and uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night and uh, Violent Night and, uh, you know, this this uh, crazy thing. Um, I think I fall... In terms of, like, the wholesomeness, I like to watch a lot of TV episodes like The Office um, we watched that Ted Lasso episode um, tonight as well. That was really um, also also a great show. Um, we watched the Ted Lasso episode um, tonight as well, and uh, that was really nice. Um, you know, The Office, Parks and Rec, you know, those kind of TV episodes. I love watching those, but when it comes to movies, I really enjoy when <laughs> it's dark <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's more... Look, I do like the wholesome stuff too. It's it's nice. It's nice. But I really just prefer like something like, yeah, Violent Night. Uh, Better Watch Out is another great recommendation I can give for Christmas time. I think that's a really uh, good movie um, with Australian actors. I think Australian filmmakers as well. Um, that's also one shutter. So I would recommend that. And Christmas Bloody Christmas. <laughs> I'm going to recommend this one as well because while I wasn't a fan of the characters and how annoying they were and... Uh, the dialogue, you know, every character fucking saying fuck every fucking five seconds, every fucking line is fucking, it's, I don't like movies like that. It's kind of just like, I don't like that kind of writing. I do like when fuck's been used, but I like what's been used, you know, well. And uh, and when it represents, I guess, the character. But I guess all these characters are trash because all they say is this and they talk about sex and, um, you know, debaucherous things. Um, what the fuck does it sound like a fucking... Uh, debaucherous things and uh, yeah that's pretty much what these characters want to do they want to get fucked up they want to have sex they want to raise hell and party and uh, robot Santa is not letting that happen (laughs) Um, yeah that's pretty much what this movie is guys a robot Santa comes to life and uh, he just starts murdering people and people are scared and as they should be this Santa is uh, he's a mover he's a robot but he's a mover and he gets around he has an axe um, but as much as I didn't like the script and the dialogue, I thought the movie itself was actually, the direction was actually, um, really nice it, the whole thing's like an eighties kind of neon soaked film, neons, uh, eighties soundtrack, uh, the fucking effects, the violence, the gore was so good. The kills were so sick. Um, and, uh, the effects as well for the robot. I thought they were really cool for the, for the Santa robot. And uh nice explosion at the end. But like I said, the kills of the standout, some fucking gory ass kills. And I uh I quite enjoyed it. It's only an hour and twenty seven minutes long. And uh I quite enjoyed myself. I I quite enjoyed my time in V. If he, if Violent Night wasn't violent enough, maybe Christmas Blood Christmas can uh, fill that void for you as well. 
Um, I also finished the night with Gremlins. I finally watched Gremlins as an adult. I remember watching this as a kid, I think, on like when channel was on Channel 9 when I was a kid. Um, and, you know, you, you, you watch that with like ad breaks and everything. You, you can't really focus on the film. But, uh, yeah, I finally sat down tonight and watched Gremlins uh, and really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Um, the fucking music slaps, man. My God. Jerry Goldsmith's score is so fucking good. Um, really, really loved it. And it's just such a, like, anomaly of a film. It's, like, produced by Steven Spielberg. It's written by Christopher Columbus, who gave us Harry Potter 1. Um, and it's directed by Joe Dante, who is, like, known for just really going nuts. And boy, do the gremlins go fucking bananas in this movie. Um, and people say this is why, this is one of the films that brought in the PG-13 rating. I thought it was Temple of Doom, which brought in its PG-13 rating. Um, or was it this one and then Temple of Doom was given the PG-13 rating? I'm not too sure. But if you have any um, answers to that, let me know. But uh, yeah, I uh, it's bananas. It's so nuts. I loved it. I think Gizmo's cute as fuck. Protect Gizmo at all costs. Um, I, but I also love the Gremlins, man. I kind of was on the Gremlins side throughout the entire film. Like I was just like, these guys are just, they just want to have a, have a party. They just want to go nuts. They're Gremlins. <laughs> Let them have nuts. Because like the human characters, like I'd love seeing Dick Miller in things because I think he's a um, he's always a great treasure to come up and uh, and to watch. Um, but like Billy, um, Phoebe Cates' character, I think, I think is it just Katie? I think her character. Uh, yeah, she they kind of just suck. <laughs> I will give credit to uh, Billy's mum though. Like as soon as the Gremlins start appearing, straight murders three of them. Chucks one in the blender stabs the other one and then fucking does that whole you know everyone knows the classic microwave explosion the microwave kill on one of the gremlins but fuck the mom goes ham man she goes ham on those gremlins as soon as they start appearing um but yeah i was all for the gremlins like raising hell and uh just like fucking shit up watching snow white the movie theater like all these guys did when i was wanting to watch movies and i was i was feeling like on gizmo for the entire film i was just like I just want to chill. I just want to wrap up my blanket and I just want to watch a movie and uh, fucking Stripe and these other gremlins aren't letting me do that. Now I've got to go help my fucking owner um, and take them all down. So yeah, the gremlins, they, they raise in hell, but um, I'm the gremlins. I'm for the gremlins in this movie and uh, I really enjoyed my time of it. It's a fucking nuts movie. It's crazy. I cannot believe this is like I think this is just PG, but like they've got smoking gremlins. You have these gremlins that like um, flash themselves. How do they get guns? There's like a gangster gremlin. That whole bar scene is just insane. <laughs> that whole bar scene is just insane. So now I'm really excited to watch uh, Gremlins 2, the new batch uh, sometime next year. I think I'll do, might do a podcast episode on that one because um, I also re- want to watch uh, Playtime next year. And I, I heard that that t- t- takes a lot of influence from Playtime, Jacques Tati's film. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, in terms of Christmas fair, that's all I got up to doing. Um, I might watch a few more TV episodes from The Office and Parks and Rec. Um, I might watch The Night Before. I really liked watching The Night Before. Um, the film with Seth Rogen, Anthony Mackie, and Jeff Gordon Levitt, that Christmas movie. Not too sure. I might watch Silent Night, Deadly Night, like another horror. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure what I'll do. I'll probably watch some more Christmas stuff. I'll probably uh, watch Night Before Christmas as well, as uh, that's become a tradition as well for me to watch that before Christmas as well. 
Because you can watch it, you can watch it twice a year. It's so good. You can watch it twice a year. You can watch it on Halloween. You can watch it before Christmas. But I tend to watch it. But usually, I tend to watch not before Christmas. Uh, on Christmas, around Christmas time. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited for a new year because I'm fucking done with 2022. <laughs> I am fucking done with this fucking year. Jesus Christ, I am done with this year. Um, sorry for this again. Like I said, sorry for this episode came out so late. Like I said. Went through a, just a dumpster fire of shit in November and uh, really didn't really feel like doing anything. Yeah, could say mental health <coughs> declined. So, um, yeah, hopefully next year's a better year. I want to put out good stuff next year, better stuff, and hopefully be more, even more consistent than what I said I would be because I want to be more consistent. I want to put out videos. I want to try new things. Um, I want to get some guests on next year. Maybe get some friends in. Um, I know a few of my friends that do want to be on and talk about a few things. So I would love to have some friends on as guests. Um, maybe my sister and I will finish ex- exploring Euphoria season one. Um, and then we'll get on to season two and everything. But I just want to thank everyone for listening this year, being patient with me and continuing to listen. Like I said, continuing to listen, even though you know what I am, you know what I go through and you still stick by me. So so thank you. Thank you so much. I really hope you also enjoyed the 100th episode. I had a lot of fun with that one and, and what went down on that episode. And I want to do even more things like that. That doesn't need to be a milestone episode. We can just have more fun next year and uh, try different things. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for so much for tuning in. And uh, look out for that top 10 video of 2022. I've worked it all out. There's no films going to wreck that now. Have a good Christmas. Happy holidays. Take care. Peace.